You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Oren Yamotier, and I'm here today with Kyle Coleman, VP Revenue Growth at Clary. How are you doing today, Kyle? I am living the dream. How are you doing, Ray? Very good. Thank you. Very, very good. So today we will be talking about SDR manager effectiveness. But before we get into the topic, would you mind just giving a little bit of background to yourself, Kyle, as well as the company you represent, Clary? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I currently am at Clary, but I'll get to that in a moment. Prior to joining Clary, I was at a company called Looker for six years. I was the sixth employee, business intelligence company based in California. Grew the SDR team from myself to about 65 people globally as the company grew to about 800 or so employees over the course of six years. Got to about $110 million in revenue and then was acquired by Google for $2.5 billion in 2019. I then jumped over to Clary, where I lead sales development, sales enablement, value engineering, as well as demand generation. So the teams that are responsible both for creating and accelerating pipeline for both our new logo business as well as our customer expansion and retention business. And what Clary does, Clary is a revenue operations platform that makes all of your revenue processes as connected and optimized as possible so that you know where you're going to land before it happens. You know in week one of the quarter how your quarter is going to turn out, and that just makes life a lot easier both for private and public companies. Yeah, sounds good. It's replacing the, taking away the pain of forecasting in a way, I guess. Which is exactly right. Which is and and one of the one of the reason or one of the fact that triggered that conversation they released is a post that you put on LinkedIn, and that interesting uh, piece was about SDR manager effectiveness. And you are highlighting in that post four points that you believe are fundamental for SDR leaders to be successful. Would you mind just taking our audience through the the four points and explain briefly which which one of them mean from your perspective? Yeah, I will answer your question here, Ray, but I want to give you a little bit of background, which is a lot of SDRs, managers, become managers just by virtue of having been really good reps. And the same is true, of course, on the sales side with account executives that turn into sales managers. And often what doesn't get trained are simply expectations. What is now expected of them that they're in a management role? It's very different for being a high-performing individual contributor. And it really requires a different mindset, a different focus, a different time horizons, different goals, all those sorts of things. And so I realized that this was the case with a handful of the managers that we have on the team here because uh, they had been promoted. They were SDRs for two plus years each, and they were excellent uh, team leads. People looked up to them. They were process managers, all this sort of thing. So it was a pretty natural evolution for them to become management people uh, on our team. However, They were first-time managers, and they didn't have a ton of understanding of what it took to be successful in the role. And so I thought that it was a disservice to them to not give them more prescriptive understanding of what it takes to be successful. And that's how this manager effectiveness exercise was born, created this scorecard that we had them evaluate themselves against, we evaluated them against, and that created the gaps that exist. And now we know what we need to work on for each of them over you know, the months and quarters so that they can continually improve and continually become a more effective manager. I feel the pain. I feel the pain, Kyle. And the reason why I feel the pain, you probably saw me smiling while, uh, while you were going through the, the intro of, of why the four fundamentals. We, we've been very big on the promotion from within, the operatics, a bit like a Papa yeah. Jones or McDonald's or whatever. 
And, and pretty much all of our managers, even Katarina, who helped us to set up the podcast today with, with our marketing director, they're all coming from an SDR position. So they all started at the bottom. So, so what you end up getting, you get you end up creating a fantastic culture and people who understand really the business inside out. But my God, the gross pain can be very painful. And I think for us, what, what, what we try to do is, is even before the promotion is, is setting up expectation. So actually right now we're going through an exercise of, of competency framework. Because I may be convinced that you, Kels, will be a fantastic manager and you will be convinced yourself that you are a fantastic manager. And for some reason, we do it and it becomes very painful and it doesn't work out. And what we don't want to do is to burn a good resource. And, and it's our job as the manager of the potential manager or the coming up manager to find the right path for those people, right? So yeah, I do feel so much what you are saying, very interested to know more about the four fundamentals and the details. There you go. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear we're aligned. I mean, this is a pretty common problem for growth companies. So to answer the question that you asked about what are kind of the categories that we're evaluating our managers against, what, what defines SDR management effectiveness to us? And, and there are four main categories. The first one is making the team successful. And this includes things like people development, you know, helping people grow their careers, identifying what growth paths they're interested in and ensuring that they're prepared for those growth paths. It's things like effectively running team meetings. You know, this is a major gap for a lot of people that are promoted from an individual into a manager role. They have no idea how to run meetings, how to prepare, yeah. what data points are interesting, how to communicate key things, all those sorts of things. It also includes things like how to influence behavior and how to motivate other people. And again, these are more leadership capacity things. This is not just management, it's also leadership. And if I were to point out a, a pretty big gap between an individual moving into a people manager role, it is developing those leadership skills. And so this first category of making the team successful really is centered on leadership. I think expectation is, is quite interesting. The big gap that we've seen is people kind of being a good salesperson, managing their own business. Basically, the person they manage is themselves. And all of a sudden, right. you are responsible for other people to deliver. And... For me, that was a massive gross pain because I was like, oh my God, I need to change now. So, so yeah, 100%. And, and, and another thing that was probably, or we see being a little bit more of a, a, a gross pain is understanding how to adapt your communication with leadership. Okay? Mm. What you need to show. And, and while we are probably much better at that because we kind of tell them what we need to see, I think it's setting up the expectations of, of what needs to happen and what it means to be a manager for you personally, but also your relationship with people because your relationship will evolve. You've got new managers, you've got to set up new relationship with them. So it's, uh, again, music to my ears. And it's a good segue into uh, one of the, the other four principles or pillars that we're evaluating our managers against is cross-functional leadership acumen. How good are they at doing the things, Ray, that you just mentioned, managing up to this, yeah. the more senior people? How are they reporting on progress? How are they giving data readouts? The, how are they making sure that the right people cross-functionally have insights into the right things at the right times? But it's also managing across. You know, If you're an SDR manager, how do you work well now with an AE manager? It's very different than working with an individual AE. And there are different considerations. There are different things. There are different topics that you need to be well-versed on. And so that kind of cross-functional leadership is another really, really important thing that you make sure that you're really prescriptive about training your team on. So those are the, the first two categories is, is leadership among kind of down the chain of command and then across and up the chain of command. Yeah, 100%. The third, and I think probably most natural 
pillar is process management. So if you are an individual contributor and you are promoted into a managerial role, it's probably because you have a pretty good eye for process. You're organized, you're efficient, you're proficient with all the things that you need to do. You understand all the, all the tools and technology. And now in a managerial role, you have to be able to document your process if you haven't already, and you have to be able to train on those processes. And so that sort of process management is super, super important. I don't know if I've ever seen a successful frontline manager who's not really, really well-versed on the processes that it takes to be successful. In fact, you know, speaking about the positive of promoting from within, we actually get a lot of fantastic ideas from the ground up in terms of, of, of what you just mentioned, which is the processes and making sure that people get the right data, right time, that we provide them with the right input we desire from them but also in terms of optimizing processes. It's often coming from the bottom. As the company grows, you see less and less what's happening on the ground, particularly for people like me or, or my business partner who is the CEO of the business. I mean, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, if we equipped the newly promoted manager with confidence and, 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 and also tell them, look, you're going to make mistakes, but we want to carry, you need to do new things. You have processes that we will set, that we will teach you, that you've got to do. But when something is not working, there is two things you can do. is look up and expect something to come from us or you try something, yep. okay? And if you try something and you fail, we're going to learn all together and we're going to make the rest of the team learn from it. Or you can try something and succeed and become a hero, okay? So you either learn or you become a hero, but don't look up because we don't have all the processes. So we're trying to really empower them to think on their feet and we believe that they are the best people to do it because they are the people that were in the trenches literally just now. So, yeah, it's important for, for that process expertise. We think it's about them getting the expertise of knowing our basic process, but it's also developing their own expertise. And we've got so much coming from the team. And that, that's for them, it's creating legacy, which in return make them feel fantastic, which in return may give them even more prospect to progress. And for us, from a selfish perspective, they feel important. They feel invested. So they stick with us. I, I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more. And again, a, a really useful segue into the, the fourth and final category here, which is kind of hard to categorize or lump together. So we just call it intangibles, which are exactly what you just said, Ray, the autonomy. Are they able to think for themselves? Are they able to create something new from nothing? Critical thinking skills. As an individual, you're probably very good at being assigned a task and figuring out how to solve it. As a manager, you have to both identify what needs to be solved and you have to solve it. And that is a very, very important step in critical thinking skills. Intangibles also include things like listening skills. And you have to train, and again, most individual high-performing reps are great listeners, but it's a different ballgame when you're managing people and not just managing deals. And then one other thing I want to mention is, is curiosity. And I think this, this goes really nicely to what you mentioned, Ray. If you're really curious about the process, if you're really curious about your people, the personas, the company itself, the product, the solution you're selling, it's extremely important for you to have that curiosity so that you can do exactly what you said. You can create those experiments. You can create hypotheses. You can test those hypotheses. You can do readouts on what you learn. You can admit to failure. You can admit to success. It's really, really important. So those are the four pillars, and we could spend many more minutes and hours probably unpacking these. But I think at a high level, it's, it's a really useful framework to think about how to evaluate your team. And then again, I don't want to, I can't stress this enough. You, the onus is on you as a manager of managers 
to make sure that these expectations are really well articulated and documented and that you're doing everything you need to do to train your team on this. It doesn't just happen by accident. It happens like anything else by intent. And so you have to be intentional about defining these things. And, and that's how you set your team up for success. I'm 100% in agreement with you regarding the intangible. In fact, this is probably the intangible that are the most difficult to assess if you don't have a framework to assess them. And, you know, for example, you know, listening and, and speaking, I think the motion is changing drastically when you are a BDISDR versus becoming a manager. You know, we, 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 we actually train our guy to coach. We've got a training program uh, with an external company called the, the, the Sales Impact Academy mm. around coaching. And uh, the art of asking questions to open up a resource, to open up a colleague versus telling them what to do. The art of making people take the decision for you. And, and these are probably the, those kind of soft skills where you've got people who've got the, the right empathy, the right emotional intelligence, the right curiosity, which for me are, are things that come from your education. You know, you can't, I can't teach someone to become curious, right? You either well-born curious or you've been developed by your parents and your education to become curious or you are not curious i'm not going to make you curious i don't think it's i don't think i can i can't make you more emotionally intelligent i can make you feel that you can work on it but you know it's like everything you've got strengths and weaknesses and what you should do is obviously try to get better at your weaknesses but i think mm -hmm. most people that succeed should focus on their strength you know, I love the intangible and, and those skills, what we try to do, we actually try to build a team of Avengers. We've got one guy that one guy that can go under the water, the other one get green and get really hungry, the other one can do whatever. And because sometimes finding the full package is a bit difficult, okay? But if we can find someone that is highly emotionally intelligent, have a good listening skills and everything, maybe someone that will have more of a manager role towards the resources on the campaign. Someone who's got more critical thinking, uh, maybe a bit more curiosity or more, more, more assertiveness, maybe more like a client type of guy. But then we can pair them to work together and let them learn from each other. And sometimes finding the full page has been difficult. And obviously, you know, you, as we grow now, we are segmenting the roles. But right. when we were promoting the first manager, you had to be a Swiss Army knife. You need to be able to recruit. You need to be able to enable. You need to be able to coach. You need to be able to deal with clients. You need to be able to customer success. You need to be able to report up, report down, manage expectation. And that's a little bit too much for a resource to take. So what we realized over the years is that intangible are probably the most difficult because there's the thing that you can't teach people. And you create that sort of group where everybody feels good because while they might not be the full package and they know it because you do the 360 interviews and you do, you do the competency framework, you know what your strengths are, and you know that you are superior at something. So instead of trying to be like a, a jack of all trades, we try to get our guys to be like, hey, he's the expert at that. You, you want a coaching session? Go to Josh. He's probably one of the best coach we've got in the team. You know. So those intangible are very interesting. I'd like to know two things. I'd like to know how you've been measuring them, and, and mm. I'd like to know your, your feedback also and your thoughts on, on what we've been doing, which is kind of trying to that assemble a team of adventure versus having someone that does a little bit of everything. It's just like any team, you know, sports metaphors are really useful here. You don't build a successful sports team by hiring a, a group of 11 people that are all really good at the same thing. You need people that are specialists at certain things. You need strengths to complement each other's weaknesses. And that's how you build a great team. 
So we were totally aligned on that front and recognizing what people's strengths are while improving the weak areas is really important. That way you can kind of have the best of both worlds. You know who the go-to person is for training and onboarding. You know who the go-to person is for growth paths and training for what's next in the career development standpoint. You know who the right person is to go and have a difficult conversation with a, uh, an individual AE or sales manager. Like you, you know, and you can learn from each other that way. So it's, it's really, really useful. A lot of people make a terrible mistake of hiring for a profile that's the same exact person. And then you end up with a team that looks, feels, acts, and thinks the same way. And that there's nothing sure to stunt your growth than having a group of people that thinks the same way. So we are eye to eye on that point, Ray. Now, your first question, how do we measure the intangibles? It's hard because they're intangible. <laughs> so it's not like it's not like you can assign, you know, any really specific score. It it really, I mentioned this before, I'll read, I'll restate it. We ask our managers to self-assess. Say, uh, okay, here's the list of intangibles. Here's a definition of what they mean. How do you feel like you've been doing against these over the last six weeks or over the last three months, whatever the time frame is, and why? So give us a qualitative statement against these qualitative goals and let us know where you think you are. Now, at the same time, your manager is going to do the same thing. And now we're just going to have a conversation about this. How are your listening skills? Give us an example of a time that you feel like you've, you've really helped or a time where you've really struggled understanding one of your reps. And now our manager is going to do something similar because our manager did skip level one-on-ones. They have a really good sense of the people on your team and how they feel about you. And now we can triangulate a perspective here and we can come up with not necessarily a quantitative scale all the time of one to 10. It'd be nice if we could, but we have an action plan in place to say, here's what you're doing well. Here's a soft spot that we need to work on. And here's how we're going to work on the soft spot. It's, you know, and we can create a pretty prescriptive plan to have them focus on something and then come back to us two weeks later and say, here's what I did to focus on this. And here's how it went. Here's where I still need help. And here's where I think I'm excelling. And so that's the way that we try and manage this. It's not exact. It's not going to be super scientific. It's not going to necessarily show up in a dashboard anywhere, but it is a really, really useful way for you to, again, keep your finger on the pulse of what your team is doing, of what your individual managers are doing well and what they're not and what you can do, how you can steer them in the right direction to sharpen up those soft spots. 100% agreement again. I mean, the, the, it's funny because we made that mistake to think that, you know, training is, is, is one size fits all. And, and I think what we're doing now, we much more, we, we have a plan per, per resource. Uh, I mean, we, we're not there yet. You know, we, 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 I think achieving perfection for that sort of thing is intangible. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's, it's about trying to get better and better. And, and really what we're trying to do now is with, with the scope of competencies is, is almost developing like a, a learning path yeah. that will be tailored to each individual. And then what we are looking at potentially is, it's not just the learning path, but it's also how do you bring checking point? I'd like to get your views on that. You know, I know that we, we lots of organizations are using a conversational, conversational intelligence platforms such as Gong, Chorus, mm-hmm. Refract. Uh, I think uh, the, the the guys at Salesloft also have that component on their uh, on their systems. Have you, are you using similar uh, tools in order to assess and measure your manager? Obviously, on a different format that you would do with a BDR, but to kind of to kind of get a, an understanding of what are the different sequences or the different engagements and how the conversation should be built for a tough conversation with a customer or a tough conversation with an AE or a recruitment call and you are recruiting someone, mm. are you doing the right the recruitment conversation? 
are you doing the right thing in the environment? So, and I know that obviously now with COVID, most of the people we are managing, technically we manage them online. So it's not, you know, yeah. it's not in the office anymore. So I think I, I would like to understand your views on that because this is something that we are exploring and we don't know how to go about it too much. And I'd like to see if you've been using or if you've seen anyone using conversational intelligence platform, AIs, in order to not just do the training of those newly recruited people, but that the ongoing development of those people. It's a really good thought exercise. I We do not. We do not use our, we use uh, conversational intelligence tools. We don't use them for this purpose. It's, it's interesting though. And I think the, what we have done in the past, and it's much harder now, as you mentioned in, in the COVID era, is we would sit in on one-on-ones. We would, that they would have with their teammates or with AEs or with managers or something like that. You know, just fly on the wall, passive observer, just want to listen to the conversation and get a sense of your style and provide feedback if we can. And that's that's gone away. We haven't solved that in the virtual world. So it is definitely something that's missing. I will say what we do use, and I also, sorry, I want to say, I like your idea for candidate phone calls. Although I don't know if it's legal <laughs> to record a candidate phone call. So I'll have to look into that and, and get back to you. You have to ask them uh, if they're yeah. comfortable to do it. And I think most of them are because we, we kind of explain to them that we've got the scorecard and we've got the process. And, and again, you know, there is two aspects of an interview. There is an aspect of an interview, which is, hey, I want to know a little bit more about yourself. And that we don't need to record. However, I've got some technical questions. I need to assess your skill and your competencies. And that that's my technical scorecard, right? So I, I'm a little more formatted for that. But the conversation about how we get on you and I and, you know, that so so it depends, but for us it's it's been you know it's been a fascinating process because without seeing the the conversational intelligence as such just now we we've been recording some calls like a kickoff call like so one of our one of the big step of getting a clients going at operatics is to kick off with the clients with one and a half hour mm-hmm. session, and we've had a kickoff agenda that has been defined for years, okay everybody knows it by heart, everybody can go into the process documents file, find the document, find the questionnaire, find the template for the playbook and all that sort of great stuff. The problem was that nobody was using it. Everybody was, no, I think actually it's not right, sorry. Everybody was making their own soup. Okay? <laughs> it's like I take something, but I'm going to slightly do it in my way. Okay? So you teach me how to make soup, and it's a tomato soup, right? But I'm going to add a little bit of basil in mine. And then the other day will add a little bit of pepper in it. So it's kind of the same stuff, but it tastes slightly different. And the problem you've got is that you want to be like McDonald's. You know, when you've got a process, particularly when it's kickoff and it's clients' relationship and stuff, you want your chip, your chips to taste the same in, in different countries. You want the burger to taste right. the same in different countries. You want that consistency. And, and, and it's funny because what we realize that while everybody was trying so hard is that the manager... The, 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 that were promoted a long time ago, kind of brought their own way of doing the kickoff. So they slightly changed the process. And then they train another cohort of managers themselves that kind of took what they had and brought their own little things to it. And then the third cohort, and then you end up with something at the end, like, whoa. So people know what to do, but they, they, they didn't really do it effectively. And just the fact that now we have a session every Thursday where we take one kickoff from any, we just pick one team, we record them all because the clients are okay to record them, it's a session that we record anyway. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the team score you. 
okay? And then we've got one session where the rest of the team come and tell you, this is why I score high, this is why I score low, this is what was great, this is what I've learned. And just the fact that the guys know that they are being recorded and that they are being scored by their peers, not managers, by their peers, has developed by basically what we wanted, which is spot-on quality, fantastic experience. They want to look good. They don't know if that kickoff will be picked up or not. And I think it's driving a sort of psychology of being better, of having people saying, oh, you've done that. We did not actually have in the process. I think that's great and I'm going to use it. People feel so empowered. So that's why we, we're, looking, we're thinking about doing it a little bit more at scale. And, and I'm exploring. So I'll let you know where I get on, but uh, I'm having conversation with a few of the vendors that, that I've already mentioned and more on the CS side to see how they are using it, how their clients are using it on the CS side to like more like listening to the call of their managers versus the call of their BDR, right. SDR, A. And, and a lot of people do it. So, so surely there is a way to use it. Now, I'm trying to assess how that would work for organization and, and how do we make the most of it because those solutions are not cheap, right? So if, if we do it, we need to do it properly. So I, I'll let you know more when I, when I know more. It's very early stage, very embryonic stage, but very excited about it. I love that. Yeah. And, and to hear how individual processes can be reinforced and evolve properly when they're recorded and assessed, peer assessed, manager says it's, it's wonderful. And if we can find a way to make that happen in the managerial ranks, I think it's it's something that's pretty sorely missing right now. And that sort of the, the style departure that you mentioned exists across all managers where they, they could go to the same exact training and come out of that and apply that training in a very different way. And there's no real governance. It's hard. It's hard to ask to record a one-on-one and review a one-on-one and, and do those sorts of things. So there's got to be some solution. So please do keep me posted. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think you need a little bit of freestyle. I think it's important that people can, can, can think for themselves and can think on their feet. Because if not, you end up with people that will never criticize or have an opinion about the process. And we want people who have an opinion with the process. If they don't agree with something we've been doing for years and they convince us, we're just going to change it. You know, things got to evolve. So I think it's, but it's having that right balance. And, and that there is no formula because that's probably an intangible. <laughs> Again, something that, you know, is, is difficult to assess. But, but coming back to the, the, um, the selection of SDR. So, you know, obviously you must have been in a situation where you've got a fantastic SDR that you think would be a, a good manager, but they don't really want to be an manager. They want to become an AE. And, and they, yep. you, may, they may not, you may disagree with the career path. And then you have the opposite. Someone with a, a good or average BDR, they absolutely want to become a manager and you're like, mm, you don't really have the skills. So I guess what I'd like to understand is, do you have a process or, or what are your ideas or thoughts around the selection process of this BDR? That's one side of it. The second side is how do you make sure that there is no knock-on effect of the rest of the SDR team? Because if I'm working right. with Kyle, Kyle started in March 20. I started in February 20. Kyle is getting a promotion before me. I mean, without knowing and being part of the process, I may get annoyed. So how do you, so two things, selection process and also avoiding the sort of knock-on effect, psychological knock-on yeah. effect on the rest of the team and the guys that feel bad because they've not been selected or not even be asked to be selected, if you will. Right. It's a really good question. There's no easy answer. I would say for the internal team promotions, for leveling promotions among SDRs, individual contributors, we have four different levels. The criteria to graduate between those levels is completely transparent. It's very well-defined. It's delivered to everybody. Everybody knows exactly what they need to do, um, what the timelines look like, what the um, criteria are, qualitative, quantitative, et cetera, et cetera. So intra-team 
individual contributor leveling promotions. We have that on lockdown, and I would highly recommend you get pen to paper and define those criteria as to avoid what, what you mentioned. You know, somebody started before me, but they leveled before me. How did that happen? And you can just make it crystal clear by, by having it all documented. The jump from SDR into management is a trickier one. And this is one where I'll, I'll preface this by saying, like, my role in the leadership on the team and the stewardship of the team is not always to be liked by everybody. It is to be respected by everybody, but not necessarily always to be liked every day. It's just not possible. And so I say that I preface this because this is something that I certainly got wrong in my early days as a manager, where I was so focused on on being liked that I wasn't giving people the feedback that they needed to hear. And I was avoiding tough conversations. And I realized that I was doing a major disservice to people for that reason. And so once I realized that my role is to, to guide the team, to lead the team, to lead individuals and to be respected, but not always be liked, it changed the way that I thought about the answer to this question. And the answer to the question is, first and foremost, you have to really understand what is internally motivating to people. What, what is the fire in their belly? What is really exciting to them? What are they passionate about? Are they passionate about maximizing their income? And some people are. Some people have goals. They would need to support their families or they want to, they pers- they want to pursue a certain lifestyle or whatever it is where financial income is the top or near the top of their list. And if that is the primary motivator, nothing at all wrong with that. It probably just means that the management path isn't right for you because there are better and more better opportunities to maximize income. Or, or there are things like, you know, if somebody tells me, and one of the things I look out for in a manager is they say, hey, I, I just helped this person through their onboarding. And when they got their first meeting, I was more excited about that than any meeting I've booked my whole career. I'm like, okay, you are somebody who thinks about helping people, who thinks about managing people, who thinks about other people's success as your own. And that to me is indicative of somebody who is on a manager track. So understanding what's motivating to them, understanding what their definitions of success are, understanding what experiences they want to have in their careers and why, asking these kind of broader questions that are not necessarily about what's your five-year plan? What, what role do you want? That's not the question here. The question is what's motivating to you and what experiences do you want to have? And once I have this more nebulous conversation, I can then help guide you down the path or paths that I think you should explore. And that's what we do. So once we understand these motivators, we understand what's interesting and exciting to people, then we say, okay, based on what you told me, here's a path that I think may be interesting, or here's a handful of paths that may be interesting. Now, how are we going to go find out? Let's call the herd and let's figure out which one of them is, is the most applicable to you. So they may want to be an account manager, an account executive, or a sales engineer. And we go and get introductions to people doing those jobs. And we set them up. We set up our individuals with those people so they can go assess it. Or if they say, I want to be a people manager or an AE, I can't decide. My motivators are kind of split between them. We say, go learn about what it's like to be a manager. Here's how we'll set up this path for you. Go learn what it's like to be an AE. We'll set up this path for you. And they evaluate. And they come back after doing a little side project in both camps. And they have a much better idea of what the day-to-day job is. Now, they may think they're a fit for the role. And I may disagree. And so now circling back to how I started this monologue, (laughs) I have to be very honest with them and say, I really appreciate your enthusiasm. I really appreciate your passion for this, but here's where you're not checking the box. Here is the effectiveness criteria, what we talked through earlier, Ray. And here's where I just have not seen you display a capacity to do this handful of things. Now, understanding it's not your job right now, and there is capacity to improve. 
but you have to be really honest with yourself about whether you can close these gaps. I'm not seeing it right now. I'm happy to help put together a plan that could close the gap, but that's as much as I can do. I can't guarantee you're ever going to achieve one of these roles. So if the gaps are extremely wide, I have to be really honest with them and say, this is not going to happen for you. It's just not going to happen. And here's why. If the gaps are really narrow, I can say, you're very close. We just need to shore up this, this, and this, and here's how we're going to do it. And so that honesty, that candor is really, really important. That feedback, that honest feedback to make sure that people know where they stand and what they need to work on is how you can make sure that everybody is operating on a level playing field and that everybody understands why somebody is promoted and why they're not, because all of this is happening above board. All of it is very transparent. Yeah, this is this is exactly what we're trying to also, um, we're trying to, 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 to kind of counter on with, with the scope of uh, competencies, you know, and, and, and having the test and, and, and having a, a little bit more of a formal process. You know, it's always very helpful when people speak about, you know, you, you are doing favorism. No, we're not doing favorism. We're trying to do what's best for the company and, you know, with, with the means we've got available. Right. You know, it's it's and sometimes, yes, we don't make the right decision, you know, and, and I think it happened in the past. But, you know, it's, it's nothing malicious. So it's it's, it's and it's, it's the emotion is because I've been the guy who tried to go for a job and don't get it. Right. Yeah. And I think it's difficult for people to accept that there is someone better than them. However, I took a note of something that you said. I just I think is wonderful. I actually wrote it in capital in my pad here. So you should not focus on being liked. This is something that we do not have in our uh, mentor or manager training and absolutely something that I want to speak to them about because I think sometimes you spend a lot of energy wearing some sort of a social mask and trying to be someone you are not when you become a manager and and that's a waste of time, you know, because you've not been selected for that social mask. We don't want you to have that. In fact, you've been selected for what's underneath it. And I think we are not bringing that in the training i don't think we i don't think we need a module about it but it's more like something that i think we should address with them in a sense so, so i took a lot of that another note that i took is you, you mentioned kind of shadowing managers or getting a better understanding of the role of what they are doing i think that's really good i don't know how we would do it but i think this is something that the it was something that was probably very easy when we were all in the office because yeah. you know is doing you know what the other mentor the other ops manager the other coach is doing right you see them doing it you can just follow them or whatever move with your laptop around and whatever now we're all working from home how do you know what the other guys are doing what do you how do you appreciate what does that neural entice i think we need to have a little bit more of work in terms of that what is the reality of the role and and what's the bad of the role because i think Sometimes people look at it and say, you know, I just want a promotion. Just want a promotion. They don't realize the amount of work that will come with the promotion, the pain and the effort and how much knockdown they will get from it because it's new to them. And and, and I think we should not look at it as this, this shiny thing, but also kind of very be very clear about the less pretty side of being a manager at the outside. No question. So I'm trying to think about how we would do it, but you, you, you give me some food for thought here. There you go. And I want to add a little more nuance to this liked versus respected um, sort of paradigm because they're not mutually exclusive. And I, I, the way I frame it, and I may not have said this earlier, Ray, is that you can't be liked every day. But in the long term, if they do respect you, they probably also like you or they appreciate you. 
And it's it's really important to think that way. And, and really, uh, this just happened recently where I had to have a difficult conversation with one of my SR managers. And I had to tell him, basically, you're not doing your job. And I had to say, like, he was making a, a few, not excuses necessarily, but rationalizing a few decisions that he was making as to why he wasn't involving himself more or making something happen. And I basically had to cut him off and say, this is your job. Your job is to do the things that you're rationalizing not doing right now. So go sit in these one-on-ones, go make this happen with your team and with the AEs that you're working with. Otherwise, you're not doing your job. And this wasn't a fun conversation to have. And it was a little, it wasn't heated necessarily, but I was a bit more pointed than I, than I am here. Maybe not emotional necessarily, but more direct. And he, I hung up and I was like, man, that was, that was the toughest conversation I've ever had with him. I've known him for five years. But he called me later that day and he was like, thank you. Thank you. I needed to hear that. You, you busted through a little bit of a shell and some excuses I was making for myself and, and I appreciate it. So we left the phone call. I left the phone call thinking, man, he, uh, he doesn't like me. <laughs> you know, I, I just ruined his day. And then I heard back from him later to say, thank you. Not only do I, do I like and appreciate that, but the feeling that I got is like, he's, he respects me. He knows that I have his best interests in mind, that I'm pushing him because I care about him. I'm pushing him for growth because I have a lens into what he needs to do that maybe he doesn't have. And I can give him feedback, but he's not going to hear anywhere else. And so the, the, I would just want to reemphasize that being liked and respected are not necessarily mutually exclusive. And if you optimize for respect first, you'll probably get being liked as a byproduct. 100%. It's, it's fascinating that you're saying that. So we, we, a few weeks back, we, we did a session, a podcast with, uh, with Wendy Harris, who is the VPMEA at Gong. So she's newly, newly uh, the new VPMEA, first VPMEA on the ground. Uh, at Gong, and uh, we spoke at length about a style of management which is radical candor. So it's called radical yes. candor, and what it means, it means you know that I respect you, okay? I hope you respect me, but there will be no hiding. If I've got to deliver something, I'm not going to put makeup on that shit. You know, it's going to be straight in. I'm going to tell you as it is, and you should not take it the wrong way because we're trying to make progress here. There will be friction, but it will be positive friction. You may feel bad about something and hopefully I will never cross a line. But when I say something, when I need to say something, I will have to tell you. And that's for your personal development. And I think that's particularly true when you really, because really when you promote someone, I think it's a trade-off. You know, you really do something massive for their career. Okay. And at least that's what I believe. I don't know what they believe. They probably look at their basic salary and stuff. For me, I just sleep better at night knowing that we promoted 25 people this year or even more than that, okay? The fact that we make an impact in their career, that we change their life, we change the way that we help them to grow. We Then, you know, you do cool setting and you look at what they've done over the last 12 months. This is really, that. that's what gets me excited. But you can't do that without friction. You can't grow without pain. You can't grow without a moment where you doubt yourself. You can't grow without a moment where you say, well, I really didn't like the way he spoke to me. But then you wake up the next day, and you're like, well, actually, maybe the form was not great, but the content, God, is right, spot on. I need to work on that. And I think it, it takes a big man for, for, for your colleague also to call you and thank you for it. I think that's, that's great. You know, you definitely developed a great relationship there because... And it happens to me this week as well. I, I went in a little bit with one of our one of our guys. He's been with us for seven years, and he thanked me for it. He said, "Look, that's what I needed. That's what I needed because you know I was just not 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 kicking the ball. I just you know maybe a bit of, a bit too much success recently attracted a bit of complacency, and you sure. just put me back on the rail. and And I love you for that, and I appreciate that. So you know, I think sometimes it's 
not that we want it to be necessary, and I think it should not be done freely, and it's got to be done when, when, when the time is right, but it is important to have that friction. It's important to put a line on the sun and say, look, you, you, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, or let me reframe what you are doing and tell you why it's not right. And those conversations, in my opinion, are healthy. Try not to have too many of them because they're not the most enjoyable. But you know, I, I like I like what you are saying as well because you're very honest about the feeling you have. When you hang up that phone and you had that conversation, you start questioning yourself. Say, oh, have I been too harsh? You know, have I let my passion take the best out of me? You know, right. that, that, you know, it's like the, the angel on one side and the devil on the other. Isn't that guy has been speaking. I've been too harsh. What what have I done? Um, and and it's good that that guy called you back because he. he that probably kind of help you to feel better about it as well, which is which is very important. We're getting to the end of the conversation, which is an absolute shame. I think we could have we could have carried on for, for forever. But what I usually ask at the end at the end of the conversation is two things. Really, is people may want to get in touch with you either to carry on this conversation or to discuss about how they could engage with Clary and and get your support to have better visibility in their pipeline, forecast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. If people want to get in touch with you, Kyle, what is the best way to, to engage? LinkedIn, please. Just look me up, Kyle Coleman, on LinkedIn. I, I post pretty frequently, try a handful of times per week on topics, mostly around top of funnel, SDR and AE stuff, uh, a little bit around management philosophies and things like that. And then if you're interested in finding out more about Clary, it's C-L-A-R-I, Clary.com, and request a demo. Our team will be in touch and we'll get you all the information you need. That's wonderful. Well, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Kyle. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for the time, Ray. It was an absolute thrill to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.